So I love this. I know not everybody in the room is happy and full of joy. Some of you weirdos don't like this time of the year. But I love this, and I love this service. We're telling the story of the Bible together as a church. Uh, we've all got these parts we're playing. This is quite a remarkable thing. Now, some of you know that uh, this is a very lucrative time of the year for the mental health care workers in our church and among us. I've heard it said that this can actually be the busiest time of the year for therapists. It's dark and cold outside, and even though the noise of our culture seems merry and bright, for some of us, for many of us, we're often distracted by old wounds that have festered and never really healed. Family conflicts, broken relationships, divorce, loss. It seems that at this time of the year, the stress of overcrowded schedules and impossible demands and so many other complicated dynamics can make this season quite dark for some people, which is fitting. Because after all, that's the way this whole thing got started. Listen again to the very first sentence of Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, for some of us, we could accidentally read that sentence with a bit of a yawn. After all, when a census comes around here in America, we basically fill out a boring form and put it in the mail and send it off. But it was not like that when a census occurred in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, or today for that matter. A census was an act of domination and humiliation. Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, he's flexing his muscles with a demand that everybody be counted and registered and, of course, taxed. Now, why would Caesar do this? Well, three primary reasons. Number one, to keep the Roman war machine going. Number two, to keep Caesar and all of his friends well-fed and in the lap of luxury. And number three, to keep all these people that Rome had conquered, to keep them in their place to, so that they would know how many of them there were, and where they lived. A census, you see, was about who runs the world, who's in control, who gets the money, and who gets crushed in the process. That's the first line of the Christmas story. And so when we read this first line, those of us here who are stressed and hurting and aching, the birth of Jesus starts in exactly that context. Every time there was a census in the Middle East, there were riots. People got killed. So when we hear four times in the first five verses, when we hear four times that there was a census, Luke is trying to get it through our thick heads. This was stressful. This was not a silent night kind of Thomas Kincaid, pleasant little setting. 
And we need to think that through when we read this story. We need to think it through. For example, we need to think about the implications of that setting on Mary and Joseph in a personal way. There's Joseph, basically a construction worker in a small town, married, engaged to a pregnant teenager. Now, that would produce a bit of stress. And then there's the census. So now Mary and Joseph are forced to walk a hundred miles over rough terrain, only to arrive at the end of their journey after walking for more than a week to face a 4,000-foot climb up to Bethlehem, a small village already swelled beyond capacity with other displaced people. And that's where Jesus was born in the squalor of a refugee camp. None of us live in a refugee camp. Some of you, we know, have. But this morning, none of us are living in such a place. But there are many of us this morning with significant stress and turmoil and pain and sadness and chaos and confusion. And so how can we, in the midst of all of our anxieties and inadequacies, in the midst of all of our mistakes and our wounds and our overcrowded schedules and our loud families, how can we, like the shepherds, see God's glory shining in the midst of night? How can we, like the shepherds, exchange, literally in the Greek, great fear for great joy? Well, listen again to what the angels told the lowest class night shift workers of their day. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 2 verse 10 in a very fresh modern translation. Don't be afraid, the angel said. Look, I've got good news for you, news which will make everybody very happy. Today, a Savior has been born for you, the Messiah, the Lord in David's town. This will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped up in cloths and lying in a feeding trough. Now, in your imagination, can you picture this? Can you picture a baby wrapped up in cloths laid down in a feeding trough? You're supposed to picture it because three times... We're told about that. We're told by the angels that it's a sign. You know what signs do? They point. Three times we're told about this and the angels say, this thing that keeps coming up. Two things come up a bunch in Luke's story. One, the census. And two, the manger. The feeding trough. And right in the middle of the three accounts of the feeding trough manger, we're told that it points. It's a sign. So picture this. Now what is it pointing to? For those who keep reading Luke's gospel, and like Mary, you hold the Lord Jesus, his peculiar baby's crib, you hold it in your heart, in your mind, in your thoughts, and you reflect on it, and you think about it, and you return to this image, this memory, and you see it in your mind's eye again and again, and when you arrive at the end of the gospel, and once again, you see him, 
This same person, this same body, held once again, wrapped in cloths once again, laid down once again. You see what it's been pointing to. You see, it was a feeding trough. You see that there is a tomb that holds the bread of life. A feeding trough for the life of the world. How can we see God's glory shining in our night? How can we exchange our great fears for great joy? By following this sign. By seeing a baby born in a sheep pen who came to die for our sins as the ultimate sacrificial lamb. By seeing a baby born in a town called Bethlehem. Which in Hebrew, Beth means house and Lechem means bread. We see a baby born in the house of bread. A baby wrapped like a loaf of bread laid down in a a feeding trough. Follow the sign. In the grand story the Bible tells, humans are presented first of all, first of all, as hungry beings. In Genesis 2, we're commanded to eat. We have to eat to live. The Bible starts in a world given to humans as a banquet. And this image of the banquet, it it comes up over and over in the Bible. It remains the central image of life, real life, what it means to really live. It's the image of life at its creation, and it's also the image of life at its end and fulfillment. And as we'll hear in a few moments, the great story of the Bible not only starts with a banquet, it ends with a banquet. It not only starts with humans hungry, eating, it breaks with a meal. It's healed with a meal. And it is consummated in a meal. The central claim of the Bible is that to be human is to be hungry. Hungry for God. This is what the Bible claims. It claims that behind all of the hungers in our life is hunger for God. All desire is desire finally for Him. And the impossible reality is that He offers Himself to us through Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, crucified, buried, And raised from the dead. So. Like the shepherds. Behold. The wondrous mystery. Jesus Christ. The bread of life. For the life. Of the world.